So what we we've been playing around with in our um, in our discussions is um, one second. Okay, sorry guys, just want to get this right. I'm still we're working on a lot of top kind of ideas in relationship to the the situation that we find ourselves in, but this is really a general approach to to life in itself and certainly it becomes more powerful when we incorporate Pesach into the equation. And the idea is ownership over our life. Ownership over our life implies a conscious decision to be um, engaged in the process of of living life and not to, as the expression is, to live life and not be lived by life. In order to do that, we need a variety of different paradigms that perhaps we've been able to uh, get into because of the situation. For example, the whole idea of a fixed script that things are going to work out in a particular way. We've been given the advantage of having that removed from us because in the current world, we have no idea what's going to happen in the next day or the next week. So certainly the notion of the script that I have that I can just continue to, to, to follow is, is no longer a physical reality, which means internally it allows me to let go of my own personal narrative that I believe that because I am this, I'll always be this. And we recognize the flexibility in every moment. And we've discussed many aspects of that flexibility. Another point that we have recognized in our processes together is the notion that um, there's actually something very, very fragile. There's something very fragile about, um, there's something very fragile about our, our entire being. Um, you know, we see that it doesn't take much to completely and totally bring the world to, to a standstill. It takes a, a tiny molecule and that molecule, um, that, that little virus, can literally sabotage an entire, entire, on every level, global structure. Um, that brings us to the notion of the fallibility of, of humankind and how despite the huge advances that we've made in every aspect of, of our lives, but there's still really a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a lot that needs to be worked out and we can't really um, figure out what's going on as, as human beings. And one of the two sides of this that we explored was the paradox between Bitochen, the trust in Hashem and, and Yira, the fact that we have consequences to our actions and therefore um, just because we have been given something as a instrument of Expression doesn't mean we'll have it for always. And that thing that we've been given could be our health, it could be our wealth, it could be literally everything, anything in our life. So our life is a essentially, it's, a, it's an ongoing um, process of complete and total unpredictability. There's nothing predictable in my life. And the predictability that we cling on to is an illusion that gives us the supposed comfort um, of who we are and what our world is, but actually that comfort is a, is a, is a mask. And it's also, it's, in a sense, it's destructive because it actually is a barrier. The, the supposed predictability and the 
structures that I frame myself with in my world, because they are subject to change as we can see, it means that they don't really exist. If anything can disappear in a second, it means that essential quality is not present. Things which are essentially present, you can call them eternal, or you can call them true, or you can call them ultimately real, whatever word you want to use, those things can never be shifted. So actually in this experience, when people have like um, their, their jobs kind of at question, their, their, their future is hanging in, the, in, in, in suspension. So then what happens is, well, what, what remains? And what remains is real because that can't be taken away. And I think one of the most powerful reflections a person needs to have at any point in his life, and the fact that we've been given the gift to us right now is, is incredible. What, 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 what is real is, and what is, isn't real is, is not. So isn't it amazing to have access to what, what is real and what is real? Well, what is real is the stuff that remains when everything else can be taken away. And there's the part that can't be taken away, that's real. So we have to recognize what's the part of my life that can't be taken away from me. Uh, my job can be taken away from me. My health can be taken away from me. My structure, my society, my community, my anticipation, my travel plans, all those things can be taken away from me. So what cannot be taken away from me? And when you answer the question as to what cannot be taken away from me, then you can begin to explore the essence of who we are. Today, I'd like to explore a different point of this, of this interaction from a spiritual perspective. And this uh, is in the introduction to his famous work. Rabbeinu Bechaye wrote a, a great a masterpiece called Chayvus Alvavis, where he traces the path of spiritual development. And he has a section there which is called Shaha Bitochen which is the, the gate that refers to growth in um, working with a real cognizant experience of Hashem in our lives. How do we bring Hashem into our lives and what does it feel like? And he starts off with a fascinating point. When a person responds to the world around him, there's two kinds of responses that one can make. The one is, uh, so sorry, let me begin with that. With, with, there's a premise. The, the premise is that everyone needs to trust. You can't not trust in life. Trusting is, is, is part and parcel of, of who you are as, as human beings. Because since our knowledge of any situation is limited, and we are not all knowing, there are going to be gaps in terms of people that we interact with, events which are going to occur, something as simple as uh, in Israel going on a bus or even driving a car around the world, it presupposes that the other people on the road are going to stick to the traffic rules. If we assume that people are going to um, disregard all traffic rules, they're not going to take traffic lights seriously, they're going to switch to, from lane to lane and they're going to veer into us, so then we'll be incapable of driving. So even the simple act of driving, but it's actually it's the act of when you, when you switch on your light, you have faith in, in the fact the person, the electrician, you set up your light system. You don't know. You haven't examined it. When you, when you buy a fridge, you have, you, have, you have faith in the person that sold it to you, faith in the fridge company. We have faith in many things in life. In fact, in most things in life, there's a component of the unknown, and we fill up the component of the unknown with faith, or the alternative is to fill up the component of the unknown with anxiety, with the actual knowledge of, I don't know what's going to be, and that, of course, becomes debilitating. 
Because think about this. If I fill up the unknown of however drivers on the road are going to drive, so I would be incapable of getting on into my car and driving on the road because every single car that's coming towards me may veer and collide directly with me and that will be the end of, the end of me and the end of my car. So in order for me to actually get up and work in life, if anxiety falls in all the gaps, I will literally become paralyzed and unable to move. So in order to be functional, I have to have faith. That's an underlying premise of life. And in fact, those, those are the two polar opposites in terms of a, um, the world of Midot. On the one hand, you've got trust, and on the other hand, you've got anxiety. And that's not talking about it from a religious perspective. That's talking about it from a psychological perspective. From a psychological perspective, we need to have trust because the alternative which sits in the place of trust and anxiety, and anxiety is extremely restricting. Of course, this requires a, um, a limitation and trust can't be absolute. And if a person comes up to you and he's, he opens up his coat and he sells you a Rolex watch, so I don't think trust would be the correct motive and the way of relating to that person in terms of is this a real sale. But trust is something obviously when it is accompanied by a rational component. But even the rational component is not a guarantee. It's not 100%. It's only a, um, a, a predictable chance that things are going to be okay. But there's always an element of the unknown. So since life has an element of the unknown, we need trust. Now, what's interesting is that the more life becomes known, obviously the less trust we need to have. So let's go back a hundred years. The need for trust was much, much greater because um, there was too, so many unknowns. You couldn't, you, there was no weather forecast. You had no idea what the weather would be for tomorrow. So if there's an event that you're planning, you needed to trust or you had to be anxious, you could choose which one. Um, you know, you had no knowledge of, 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 there was no secure supply, line of supply. So you had no idea if you'd be actually getting the products that you expected to get. And it could go down to the basic level of even a food supply chain wasn't a guaranteed necessity, you know, a, a century or a century and a half ago. So trust was a much, much more um, necessary component. With the advance of technology, so we almost replaced trust with technology because the more and more we gain control of predicting events, so the more we filled up, the more we filled up the, um, the, the, the vacuum, we filled up the vacuum of the unknown with known, apparently known commodities. So now beforehand I had to trust, um, I had to have an attitude, I had to have a prayer, let's say, about what the traffic would be like, um, about if I would go visit a place, what that place would look like. But the more that we become um, technologically advanced, so the, rest, the less room there is for doubt, for unknown. And the less room there is for the unknown, so the less room there is for an active muscle of trust to be flexed. So what happens is when we grow up habituated by technological assistance in every aspect of our life, so the trust muscle is a very weak muscle. We haven't flexed it very strongly. And as a result, we become extremely compromised when the structure that we have collapses and reliability is removed from us. Because the, the muscle that we had has, you know, for, I'll give you an example. 
the way that the, through the six orders of Shas are organized is according, it's based on a verse. That's, that's a verse. That's not relevant for us. But the point is that the first order, which is the order of Zroim, which are all the agricultural laws, comes under the expression of emuna, of trust, of faith. And the obvious question is, what's the connection between the laws of agriculture, of giving tithes, etc., and faith? Why would that section of laws have a categorization under topic as faith? And the answer is because in order for the farmer to plant a seed, he needs to have faith in the fact that the seed will germinate, that the soil will give it nutrients, that the sun will shine upon it, that the rains will come down. It requires, an, it, it requires a positive attitude towards enormous amount of unknowns. The muscle of faith in our generation has been weakened because we just don't have a place to exercise it. There's so, there's so much which is so predictable that almost, you know, um, with the advent of artificial intelligence, you could almost with a, uh, some electrodes connected to the right places in my body, in my heart, in my brain, you could probably very shortly write an algorithm which will replace me, which means that there's nothing new in my life. There's nothing unpredictable that can occur. Everything is sorted. And in a world that everything is sorted, so then there's no need for trust because there's no unknown. And trust is the muscle that we use to lift the weight of the unknown. So when a calamity that has occurred to us that, that we're just experiencing occurs, so now our muscle to deal with it becomes, becomes, we have to engage it. We have to start pulling it up because otherwise we're left with an incredible sense of anxiety because there's so much which is unknown. No one knows what's going on. No one knows what's going on. No one knows what's going to be after people start recovering from COVID-19. No one has an idea what's going to be with the market, what's going to be with, with, with the airline industry, with the hotel industry, with, with any industry, because they're all interconnected. So there's an enormous amount of unknown. So how do we deal with unknown? Well, we have this muscle. It's called trust. And we have to figure out how we're going to use it. So that's just an introduction to the notion of trust. Trust is not a religious thing. Trust is a psychological thing. And now we can then graduate to the spiritual component. So trust is a different way. The two ways we can relate to the unknown. We can relate to the unknown with anxiety. We can relate to the unknown with assurance. When you relate to the unknown with assurance, it's called trust. When you relate to it with anxiety, it's called fear. It's called, it's called paralysis. How does that work in terms of trust in the spiritual world? And now this is where the, the Chavis of Avos comes in with an incredibly insightful perspective, which, is, which, is, which can be, I think, for, for us, a game changer. When I trust in anything, there's the, the nature of the movement is one of reliance. A game that you play to build team, um, team bonding game is it's, it's a famous game where you, um, I stand up straight and then I get my team member to stand behind me and I close my eyes and I fall back. And that builds trust because I don't know, I can't see him. He may have gone, he may not catch me. If he doesn't catch me, I'm going to hurt myself because I'm going to land flat, flat on my back. So what trust does is it builds a reliance on the other. Whatever the thing I'm trusting is, I'm relying on that thing. So if my trust is in the person behind me, I'm relying on him to catch me when I fall. Um, 
So our trust can be given over. In other words, now we're in the world of trust. We're putting the world of anxiety aside. Now we're talking about in the world of trust. In the world of trust, I can trust on anything. I can trust in my boss. I can trust in my parents. I can trust in my friends. I can trust in my society. I can trust in technology. I can trust. There's anything I can trust in. Rabbeinu Bechaya comes with an insight into how the spiritual world works. And he says something which is revolutionary in our perception of how we engage with the world around us. And he says that it's impossible for a person to be free from stress unless he trusts in Hashem. Meaning he, he, he proposes trust in Hashem as a cure for stress, tension, and anxiety. And he says, it's dafka, the trust that you exercise in Hashem, they can provide you with that. But the trust in other elements cannot. And he goes on to explain. Um, that if you don't trust in Hashem, so inevitably you're trusting in something else, or you're trusting in people, or in your own financial resources, or in your own intelligence and your power, etc. And now he says this line, which is which is which is something that we need to really think about. Hashem, as it were, removes his involvement from that person. And he places him into the hands of the thing that he trusts in. So now this is a whole fascinating new shift. That, yes, we, we need trust to function as human beings, psychologically. Point one. Point two, when we put trust, we have a choice who to put trust into. In the world of non-spirituality, trust inevitably has to be given over to a human, uh, something of human origin in one way or another, unless it's trust in some kind of uh, spiritual power, uh, idolatrous spiritual power or something like that. But in general, it will be imposed on a human, in a human dimension. It will be imposed on or something which is, which is liable to change. Um, even if it's my wealth, it's liable to a whole structure of people and, and systems and um, individuals functioning that will maintain it. Um, so inevitably my trust in anything in this world can never be complete because the nature of my trust when it's certain requires that the person relying, relying on will always be there and people are fickle and they are not reliable and even if they are willing to be reliable they're also limited by their physical form they can't guarantee it because they not be well enough they could have contracted a disease they could have they could have be unavailable. They could so the trust in other things is a, always going to be a severely limited trust. Step number one. Step number two. When we relate to the world and we emotively give over, rely on other things, 
the way that the spiritual rules are written is that Hashem says, well, I dialogue with you the way you dialogue with me. And when you place your trust in someone else, so then my need to provide you with freedom of choice puts you in the hands of the thing you trust in. And therefore you become subject to the uh, variability of that given thing. And if that collapses, you collapse with it. Whereas when you trust with me, so then the entire nature of cause and effect is totally independent of the messengers of that message. I'll give you an example. That was too convoluted. Let's say I have a boss. So what would it look like if I trust in Hashem or if I trust in the boss? So I have a, need, I have a job. I need the job because I need, I, need the, I need the sustenance. I need the panels. I need, I need the salary. And I trust that the job, that the boss is going to pay me my salary. I trust he's going to be happy with my work. I trust he's going to honor his side of the deal. In order for me to make sure that that happens, and I trust in him implicitly, I'm going to have to make sure that the trust is maintained, which may mean that I need to ingratiate myself, which may mean that if he asks me to do something which I don't want to do, I'm going to do it anyway which may mean that if you ask me to compromise some of the principles that I have, I'm going to have to compromise them in order to maintain that relationship that I have with him. If, however, I trust in Hashem, so then I have a completely different perspective of that relationship with the boss. I recognize that the boss actually is only a conduit for a higher force guiding my life. And therefore, if the boss asks me to do something which compromises my principles, I don't see it as my subservience to the boss dictating that I need to shift my principles. Rather, I look at it as a challenge for me now to reconfirm to Hashem that I understand there's a higher order. And therefore, I lose the subjugation that I would have otherwise had to him as a person. I'm free. I'm liberated because there's a higher force at play. And if he kicks me out of my job, I don't have any concern because... The job was never there to begin with, but because Hashem willed it to be there. So when it's removed from me, so there's another plan. I have to figure out what it is. But it completely shifts my relationship. Now, involved in this shift of relationship, there's an incredible danger. And the danger is becoming over-spiritualized. And when you become over-spiritualized, you start to live in la-la land. So this is a tricky thing. Meaning, the minute I become um, too... Great point, Yoni, we'll get to it. The minute I become um, too, too focused on um, trusting Hashem, so what it can do is it can kill the relationship that they're involved in. So it's, I have a boss, I have a relationship with a boss. If I only look at the boss as a mouthpiece to broadcast Hashem's message, so then the boss ceases to exist. So I, I, I don't see him. He's also a person. There's also a person with feelings, many dimensions, depth, perspective. There's also a dynamic in our relationship. So this is now we get to a very complicated stage of emuna, And that stage is, how can, we, how can we trust in Hashem? Because seemingly that wipes out real relationships. Because all we do is we look at everything as, as just Hashem broadcasting a message and the person is just a pawn in this in this ongoing dialogue between me and Hashem. So we're going to have to, we're running out of time, we're going to have to stop there. But I just want to recap, and Mr. Hashem will continue tomorrow. 
recap how we got here. We're talking about trust. Trust is something which is an inevitable psychological part of our being. Without it, we become paralyzed by anxiety. Step one. Step number two, we will never have to trust in something. And that trust in the world uh, of unmodified perception is a trust in whatever is around us. It may be parents, it may be friends, maybe technology, and maybe by wealth, and maybe by wisdom, and maybe anything. Um, step number three, there's such a thing called trust in Hashem. Trust in Hashem means that you look at the world as a um, vehicle for Hashem expressing His direct communications to you. And when someone insults you, it's because you need to have those words. And when someone fires you, it's because you need to have another job. And when someone challenges you, it's because you need to be challenged. And everything is really Hashem's hand guiding you in your life. And you trust in Him implicitly. Point number three. Point number four, this creates an incredibly complex relationship with the physical world around us. And almost put us into danger of living in a self-constructed imaginary world where we stop seeing people and we only see Hashem and people have a reality and people are real. And therefore this puts us now in a conflict and a, and, and a paradox. How can we see Hashem's Hashgocha? When my wife shouts at me, it's because I haven't done what I need to do in the relationship. And if I say, it's Hashem giving me a message, I'm an idiot. When my boss fires me because I've been delivering bad results on my, um, on my, on my, on my, on my projects, so that he's not firing me because of some magnificent divine orchestration. It's because I didn't live up to my obligations. And when I have a friend that, that, that you know, he says to me like I'm a nasty low-down creep because I didn't do whatever I was meant to do, that's justified. In other words, when you enter into the world, we talk, and now we get into this problem of, so what does is, what is the real world taste like? What does it feel like? Does it exist? If it doesn't exist, so what, this is all just an illusion? And now we have to deal with that. That's what I wanted to leave you off with. There's just another point which, which uh, Yona raised as a question. What about trusting yourself? So this is something we've explored very much in previous Shirim, that this idea of trusting yourself as the knowledge of worth, that I am um, acceptable, worthy, completely independent of what I do, is the basic crux and anchor of all our Vedas Hashem. Recognizing that Hashem, Hashem loves us unconditionally, regardless of what we do or what we don't do, number one, and number two, that the core and the essence of me is totally good. And therefore, that may not always manifest, but that's the reality of who I am. Now we have to get back to that. We have to realign our instruments when they get skewed. But we always have absolute trust in ourselves. And they will explore that as well. In the meantime, if there's anyone else who would like to ask a question, um, or how do you differentiate between if it's your own doing or God's? Brilliant. That's exactly the point. Uh, Ethan, that we're leaving off at. That's that's that, that's where we've got to. That's the crucial point over here that we have to we have to kind of figure out. Okay, Jen. So I look forward to tomorrow, same time. Um, I'm I'm imagining the password will be the same password, and everything else will be the same. If it's different, so then you're all in connection with one another. Um, and I'll you know if you don't, then just message me personally. And I'll give you the new password. Hopefully, everything will be the same tomorrow, twelve thirty Israel time. I look forward to seeing you all there. Um, go well. Have a great day. John's great seeing you. Thanks, Rob. Thank you. Thank okay. you, Robbie.